We're going to talk today about our authority in Christ. We're in the series, Christ the Healer. And if you'll notice, we're just, we're hitting different healing instances in the ministry of Jesus, along with a lot of principles of faith, which you can tie in every area of your life. A big part of laying hold of what God has provided for you, whether it be healing, whether it be provision, whether it be anything that God has in your life for you to do, it's going to take you walking in your authority as a believer. You know, it's very clear in the Word of God, even when God created man, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible said the first thing he said is he gave them dominion in this earth over everything that creeps on the earth over all the living things on the earth he gave them dominion that is literally sovereign rulership sovereign authority the first thing he did when he made man is he gave him authority that was part of god's original plan and then he told them be fruitful multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it that means conquer because satan was here conquer it and conquer it in such a way that it's disabled from future rebellion. So that's what he told Adam and Eve. In Psalm chapter 8, it even goes on and it says that, you know, here's an angel going, God, what is man that you're mindful of him? Right? And then he goes on and he says, but you've made man a little lower. And it says in the King James, the angels. But that word is not angels in the Hebrew language. It's the word Elohim. In other words, God made man a little lower than himself, which makes sense, doesn't it? We're made in his image and likeness. In other words, when you know your identity, your, your behavior will follow suit, right? And, and so are we God? No, no. But we have delegated authority given to us by God to have dominion in this earth. You know, Satan, he is a defeated foe. Your foe is a defeated foe. All these principalities and powers, they've been completely stripped. They have no power, but they are amazing at deception and distraction. And they'll throw thought after thought to try to get you to take these thoughts and start speaking them so that they can build a belief in your heart that either that that and then and then a vain imagination in your mind that you're to live a way that is not what this word says. And what's hard is the last about 300 years we've had a lot of nonsense preached. Well, you never know what God's going to do because his ways are higher than our ways. You know, that's in the Bible, but then they stopped because the next verse after it says that, but God has revealed those ways to us by his spirit. But if you don't read that last verse, all of a sudden people in the church are going, well, you know, like I grew up in a denomination that if you had something in your life, like let's say you needed money or you, your body, you were sick, Lord, would you please heal me if it be your will? That's how we prayed. I didn't have any idea that that's not how you pray. Right? That's not prayed in line with the will of God. And then we had the belief that if my body was healed, 
then it must be God's will to heal me. But if I don't get any better, then it's not God's will. Because God is sovereign. Now, notice I'm saying some things. Notice how there's partial truths. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. So what is rule number one of sovereignty? Man's will trumps his will in the earth, in your life. You can go kill somebody if you wanted to. He wouldn't stop you. He would encourage you not to do it. He would prompt you, but you still could do it. He wants you to meditate in his word day and night. He wants you to put his word first. He wants you to walk in his word. But have you ever went a day and you're just too busy? An angel of the Lord with a flaming sword did not appear and say, you better get in the word or I'm cutting your head off right now. <laughs> it just doesn't happen, right? So we've got to understand these things. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, that scripture in Psalms, it goes on to say, you have made man, you've given him authority over all the works of your hands. So even in the Old Testament, that happened. And then we see Adam and Eve sinning. They disobeyed God. And what happened? We learn from the temptation of Jesus what happened. They chose not to obey God. And Adam and Eve, who had the authority in the earth, handed that over to Satan. Because Satan says, listen, Jesus, I know you're here. I know your goal is to spread your kingdom all over the earth. This is after 40 days when he was, when he was starving, right? And, and, and Satan goes, he goes, listen, let me just compress the time frames for you. If you will fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world and all the riches, honor, all the glory of them because that was transferred to me. Well, when was it transferred? In the garden. So, so man lost the authority in the earth. Then Jesus shows up, right? And, and, and 65 times he is called the Son of Man. Only five times in the Gospels is he called the Son of God. Why? The emphasis. He, he, he put his godly attributes. I mean, think about it. The baby born in a manger was in a manger on a planet that he created and was keeping in place. The stars that he was maybe looking up at, he created them. All of the galaxies, all that. Wrap, wrap your mind around that one. Good luck with that, right? Now, what's really cool is we're going to understand someday how all that works, you know? Wow, Pastor Edwin's going to get it probably a little quicker than me, but that's all right. That's all right, I'll, you know. But, but literally, you think about this, he, he laid aside his godly attributes and he lived as a man. Why? Because it would take a man to redeem man. It ha he had to be a sinless sacrifice. We know he didn't operate as God because when he got baptized in the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit came down and anointed him. You know, Jesus is the anointed one, right? He's the Messiah, the anointed one and his anointing. Well, he was anointed when he got baptized because he operated as a man. He put all his godly attributes on the shelf 
Because he came here to redeem us and he came here to show us how to live. You see at one point he takes the 12 and he goes, listen, I'm sending you out two by two and I'm giving you delegated authority over all the ability of the enemy. So I want you to go, lay hands on the sick, heal the sick wherever you go and cast out all the devils. I've given you authority. Now, these were people that were not born again. How would Jesus have the right to do that? Because he was a second Adam. He was sinless. So he had that authority. And he delegated it to these men. He went on 70 more. He delegated that to them. And then in Matthew 28, what happened? When he came out of the grave, he was here for, what, 40 days afterwards? appeared to over 500 people that we don't know it could have been a lot more because that the greek wording it's a little unclear it could be 500 the largest crowd was maybe 500 at one time but we don't know but regardless when he left or when he when he when he was standing in front of his disciples he said listen guys today's a new day now all authority has been given to me so jesus didn't even have all authority when he was on the earth why because Satan still had the keys of death and hell. So what happened? Listen, when Jesus is on the cross and he closed his eyes to this world, he, the Bible said, remember how he said, no man's going to take my life, I'll lay it down? It says in the crucifixion he gave up his spirit. So he laid it down. He said it was fin He goes, it is finished. And then what happened? His spirit came out of his body and now he had to go into Sheol it had two compartments. It's in the earth. There was paradise where all of the righteous dead were, right? Remember he appeared? We had, what was it, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? Why did they appear? Well, think about it. God always tells his prophets things. So no doubt, here's Jesus. You know, Eli and Mo show up, right? And the disciples are like, wow. And what is Jesus saying to them? He goes, go, go tell everybody in paradise, I'm here, I'm on the earth, I'll be there shortly. And that's what they did. They went down and prophesied, right? So now he comes, he's down, but see, when he closed his eyes, when he was on his way to paradise, what happened? The angel of death and the angel of hell, he dealt with them. And he stripped them of those keys. So you and I will never taste death we will never, ever taste spiritual death, ever. When we die physically on this earth, because our body doesn't have this new nature, it's not glorified yet, all death now for a New Testament believer is, that's why the word means separation. My spirit just separates from my body, and I am present with God forever. I'll never taste death. To be honest with you, physical death is probably the most exhilarating feeling everybody, anybody will ever face. Or, or experience. I have a feeling that, that those of us sitting here probably aren't even going to sense that too much. I think we're going to hear a trumpet Amen. and we're going to be changed, Amen. right? So, so this is how it happened. Now he's saying all authority because now not only did he have all authority over the devil, I mean, you see him on the earth, right? Syrophoenician woman comes to him about her daughter who's demon-possessed. And what, what, you know, 
He calls her a dog, which is what Jewish people called everybody else who wasn't a Jew. But you saw her humility. He was trying to get her in a place to stop being manipulative, to get him to do something. So he calls her a dog. He says, listen, I'm not called to you. You know, I I don't give the children's bread to dogs. And then you see her humility. But Lord, don't even the dogs eat the crumbs? Uh, and, and, and Jesus saw her faith and says, hey, your daughter's well. Notice, he never, he never said, okay, I'm going to do it for you. Okay, in my name, Satan, you get out of... He didn't even acknowledge the devil. It's hilarious. Guy, guy brings his son who is tormented by a devil, demon-possessed. It throws him in water, throws him in fire, comes to his disciples Listen, they're, they're too busy talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They're unable to cast this devil out. Jesus shows up, and, and, and the, the guy, the, the father brings his, his son. Immediately, like Satan always does, he throws a fit. The kid starts freaking out. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that, doesn't even move him. Why? Because he tells us to give no place to the devil right? Isn't that Nehemiah 8.10? We're to give no place. No place. Do you know you don't pray to God, oh God, please get the devil out of my life. Get him out of my finances. Get him out of my body. You can't find one scripture. But you can find for a New Testament believer, James 4.7, which tells me that if I submit myself to God and then resist the devil, he'll flee from me. God always tells you and I, you take care of him. I already took care of him. I've already stripped him, so now you keep him out because he's an outlaw. He operates as an outlaw. He doesn't care that you've been redeemed. He's going to try to talk you into the fact that now that really, you know, God will heal some but not others, even though that's not in the word. Oh, God will bless some, but this is just your financial lot in life. Those are all lies, right? God is no respecter of person. What he's done for one, he'll do for all. He is all of our provider. He's all of our deliverer, healer, everything. But we've got to keep our eyes on him. Otherwise, we're going to become faint and wearied in our minds. The battlefield is the mind. He's trying to deceive. But Jesus had authority. And then in Matthew 28, he said, after his resurrection, he said, listen, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Now you go in my name. The name of Jesus holds all the authority and all the power, and we have his name. So I want to take you through a few verses in Ephesians, and I want to just kind of break this down. So let's go to Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 19. And I want to show you. We're, going to, we're just going to take like Ephesians 19, chapter 1, verse 19, to about chapter 2, verse 6. So what is that? 19, that's what, 4, 6, like 10, 11 verses, right? But we're going to go deep with this today. Because you've got to see that you have been given authority. What does that mean? You can take your authority in the name of Jesus and change everything in your own life, 
and it helps you to yield all your fruit in your season. So you guys ready for that? Hallelujah. The book of Ephesians. So in the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's literally Paul stepping back and giving us a big picture view of God's plan. The first three chapters tell us who we are in Christ. The second three chapters in Ephesians tell us now that we know who we are, now this is what we do, right? This talks about God's plan, what he's done, what he's going to do, it lays it all out. So in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 1 through verse 14, Paul talks about God's plan of redemption. That is, you know, if you're in school right now and you have an English teacher that says, hey, you can't write like that because that's a run-on sentence. This is the greatest run-on sentence of all times. In the Greek language, this is one sentence. The first 14 verses, right? Paul was a preacher, right? When he said in closing, it meant nothing, right? I mean, somebody actually fell out of a window because they were sleeping and died, right? Didn't, and had to be raised from the dead in Paul's meeting. So in, in these first 14 verses, Paul talks about God's plan of redemption. He says this, that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's a pretty big statement. It says this, we have been accepted in the beloved. Do you realize that? Now that's powerful because that means it's not what you do, it's who you are why you're accepted. So give yourself a break, right? You're accepted. I love that. We have been blessed, it says in chapter one in those first 14 verses, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Already have been. So guess how many spiritual blessings that God is going to bless you with? None. Because you already have been blessed with all of them. In other words, you already have them. If you look at the epistles, you get beyond the gospels and you start going through the epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all these epistles, it doesn't tell you what you grow into, it tells you what you already have been given. That's what they're all about. He identifies that this was all because God wanted to. God did all of this for us. Why? Because he wanted to. His great love for us. It has nothing at all to do with us earning it or deserving it. You have to get that revelation in your heart. Because otherwise, you'll jump on, man, you know, there's different brands. Like I've got a treadmill, and it's called, it's, the brand is True. But there's a treadmill spiritually, and it's called works. It's satanic. And the harder you run, the faster it goes and the more it inclines until you hit your face and it throws you off the back. And then in surround sound, echoing all throughout your mind, the enemy just puts you down 
and tells you how it's never, you're never going to be able to overcome anything. And all of it's lies. So we want to stay away from works. We want to only work out what he's working in, right? Because there's grace to do that. Ephesians talks about God's great plan of redemption. And now in verse 15, let's read this. Ephesians 1.15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. In other words, this prayer of supplication that we're going to look at today and go in depth with, why? Because it's going to uncover some things about our authority. Now, this is not my opinion. We're going to look at what God's word says. So this is what you have today. Paul prayed this prayer constantly for the believers that were walking in love and walking by faith. Those are the ones that the enemy wants to attack and come against to stop, so they need that prayer, right? All these prayers of supplication, I used to pray them for people that were just out living their life and wanted nothing to do with God. And the Lord asked me what I was doing one time. And he goes, Tony, prayer is not effective if you're praying something that I'm not stirring you to pray. And then he took me in a moment of time through all these, all these prayers of supplication. And every time, when I heard of your faith and your love for all the saints, I prayed for you. Right? What do you pray for somebody who's not in a right place? You know, when I was not in a right place, all the Holy Spirit would talk to me about was getting in the right place. Right? I love you. Are you tired of beating your head against the wall? Hey, you're doing this. Don't worry about that. Forget that and walk with me. Come on. Just come on. Just walk with me. Right? That's step number one. So it goes on. This prayer is going to help believers, right? The prayer of supplication, it helps a believer. You could pray this for yourself. You could pray this for other believers. It helps a believer. The prayer of supplication helps them lay hold of the plan of God for their life. So it says this in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, now this is the prayer, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him. So this is what Paul prayed. That God the Father would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What is eternal life? John 17, 3. That you may know him, the one true God and Jesus whom he sent. That how... Do you walk and, and, and walk in the divine healing power of God, the divine health, divine life? It comes as a result of you knowing God as your healer, right? How do you walk free from fear knowing that he's your deliverer, your protector, and that he's with you, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why do I not fear? Because I know he's with me. And he's always with you. So wisdom may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Let's break this down a little bit. Wisdom. 
Wisdom is the wisdom of God that comes out of the revealed word of God. So what happens is now the wisdom of God is not of this world. God puts his word in your heart as you choose to put it first place and keep it in your mouth. It'll get down in your heart and then the whole Holy Spirit opens it, brings revelation of it in your, in your spirit, man. And now what flows out of that word is the very wisdom of God. In Psalm 111, verse 10, and also in Proverbs 9, 10, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Not being afraid, it's the reverence, that word means the reverence, the honor, and respect above everything else in your life of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, that's the doorway. When you choose to put God's word first, you go from a listener to a hearer, faith is birthed, and now you can act on the word and walk in this. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The fear of the Lord, we reverence and honor and respect him more than anything else in our life. That's, that's the big kicker. The fear of the Lord is shown by the person who puts God's word first. It's the only person that could walk in the fear of the Lord. Wisdom enables, what does the wisdom of God do? It enables you and I to apply God's word to our situation of life so that the word of God will change the situation. God, it takes the wisdom of God for you and I to know how to apply the word to our situation, to walk in the victory that the word gives. We don't hear this enough. Because this is everything. Guys, you and I, think about it today. Well, pastor, I'm in this situation, I just don't know what to do. It's okay. The word does. And the wisdom of God will come out and it'll, he'll speak to you on what to do. So now, let's keep going with this. The wisdom of God enables us to act upon the knowledge that we've gained from his word. In other words, the wisdom of God enables us to be a doer of the word. Why are people not a doer? It's because they're not reverencing, honoring, and respecting God above everything else in their life. So now there's no wisdom flowing out of the word, so we have Christians that don't know what to do. So what do you do in that situation? This is why Hebrews tells us, as you run your race, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because what does the devil do? He has no power, but he's a master deceiver, and he's, he loves and he knows how to distract you. He knows all your buttons. If there's any pride, he knows how to ignite that. If there's any self-centeredness, self-consciousness, if there's any guilt or shame or condemnation, he knows how to push a button in your mind to get you off Jesus looking at yourself so that he can steal the word from you, which opens the door for him to come and kill and destroy things in your life. But once you know that, and you know you have the Holy Spirit, who he never gets down on you, he's here to help you, to, to lead you through life, you realize, wow, 
Have you ever realized this? People sit here and talk all the time about how bummed out they are in life, but if they take a moment and really look at it, who's beating them up is never God, it's them. Right? right? So this, is, this helps us right here. That's the wisdom, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom now and revelation in the knowledge of him. So let's look at revelation. Revelation comes through the inward man, through your spirit to your soul. So what happens is God's word goes on the inside of you and as you meditate in his word, the Holy Spirit opens it. The entrance of his word brings light. That light is the revelation. All of a sudden now, God is giving you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Revelation of God's word, how deep can you go in it? As you keep peering into the word, it'll never, you'll never get to the end of it. Full revelation. If you could, I mean, God is eternal. He's vast. A billion years from now, we're still going to be learning new things about our Heavenly Father. It's amazing. When God's word is opened up by the Holy Spirit, within your spirit, then the light of God's word explodes in your mind and causes you to see what you didn't see before. This is, this is how it works. Revelation. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brings revelation. Light comes out of the word, and your spirit understands it. Your spirit communicates that into a thought, and all of a sudden, in your mind, it just goes off. Have you ever been reading the Bible? And all of a sudden, the verse just jumps. You're out, you're hearing me preach with that soothing voice. And you've got that cup of coffee in your hand to stay awake. And then all of a sudden, I'll say something. I'll, I'll read a scripture or I'll say something about a scripture. And all of a sudden, you're going, wow. Or me or any other teacher, you're listening, whatever. You're reading the Bible. It's like they, it jumps off the page at you. That's revelation. That's that light. It literally explodes in your mind. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. If you talk to everyone who honors God and their finances in our church, every one of them walk in a constant revelation of the light that God is their provider. That they could never outgive him. Right? Right. I, I just love it. Revelation comes through your inward man to your soul. Your soul, always remember this, because when we, when we talk about the three parts of man, I'm a spirit, I possess a soul, which is my mind, will, and emotions, and I live in a physical body. I'm not a body, I'm a spirit, right? Your spirit and your soul are connected. We break them down to study them, but it's a connected thing. If, I, if my spirit, and this is not going to happen, but if my spirit were to leave my body right now, I'd be with the Lord, but guess what? My soul would go with me right? It's, it's one, one thing. It's integrated. 
So Paul here is praying that the knowledge of God that you already have in your spirit may explode in your mind so that you can see something that you didn't see before. Have you ever, have you ever come to church and you're believing God for healing and you're just speaking it? Father, I thank you that I'm healed. I thank you that your word says this. Whatever it is, and you just keep doing that and doing that. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, whoo, wait, I'm, I'm healed. Or, or you're in a battle, it seems like it's going the wrong way, but you just stand on the word and you're meditating in the word of God, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the battle, you're like, wait a minute. You know, you're, you're thanking God for days, months sometimes. Father, I just thank you that I'm victorious. I have victory in this thing. And your mind's going, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, boom, it goes off in your mind, right? You've, you've, you've seen this, right? where people, they'll, they'll go, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. It goes off in your mind and you're like, wait, time out. Wait, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm the healed, so the sickness has to leave. Wait, I'm not the, I, I'm not the depressed trying to get healed from this. No, 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 I'm, I'm already, I have soundness of mind. Does that make sense? So this is what we're talking about. Revelation. Revelation comes after you've meditated in the Word over and over. So if you don't meditate in the Word, if Satan gets you too distracted and too busy to where you don't meditate in the Word, he laughs because no revelation. Which means wisdom is in you, but it can't come out. So he's got a believer, they don't know what to do. And then they start beating themselves up or start playing the denial game. And all the time, it's like, no, no, just give yourself a break. You're already a world overcomer. You're already born of God. You have authority to get all this nonsense out of your life. Then we look at knowledge, okay? So we've got that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17 again, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, number three, in the knowledge of him. So let's look at this. Knowledge of him is something that you gain from God's word, right? God's word never once tells us to ask for knowledge. It doesn't tell us to ask for knowledge. Gaining knowledge is our part and our responsibility. You and I are to know what the Bible says about our situation. So what do I mean by that? So I make a choice to put God's word first. I make a choice to reverence, honor, and respect God above everything else in my life. I make a choice to obey God and meditate in the word of God and keep it in my mouth. That's my choice. Meditate means to mutter. I say it over and over and over. I keep it in my mouth. It's God's part to bring revelation, right? But this is my part to gain the knowledge. That's how I gain it. That's my part. But if God doesn't do his part, I can't have knowledge. Do you see that? But here, let me, let me fill you in on something. If you'll just focus on your part, God always does his part, right? I love that. 
This is not talking about personal knowledge about facts and things. This is talking about personal knowledge of God. Okay? So this is what we're talking about. The only way to personally know God is through his word. That, or I should say that's the foundational way through his word. God's word is his will. And Ephesians 5.17 says, don't, basically, don't be ignorant, but I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. So if we break this down, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, this prayer is not asking God to give us knowledge. This prayer is asking, is asking God to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do you see that? This is so very important. So now verse 18, the eyes of your understanding, that would be your spirit man and your soulish realm, being enlightened. This is the Greek word photizo. It literally means lighted, illuminated. It means a, a brilliancy of a shining light. That the eyes of your understanding, in other words, that this brilliant light goes off in your spirit and in your soul. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. See, this is why children of God don't know God's plan for their life. Because they're not putting God's word first, right? So there's, they're not meditating in his word. So now they might, they come to church and they might hear a message, but they're just listening. So no faith is really birthed. And this is why you'll see believers that a believer sits in church and they hear so many things and they have an intellectual understanding of them. But here's the thing. The word is full of life and power. It never comes back void. If that person who's, who's out to lunch right now, they're just, they're just listening if they make a decision to start hearing, you don't see them go like this. You see them go like this. Oof. It's amazing because God redeems the time. You're going to see people in church that come to church frustrated, depressed, beating themselves up, unhappy with life, and all of a sudden, in a matter of instant, they're going to be walking around going, the anointing on my life, what I'm walking in, the way I know God, it just all connects. Because I'm telling you, when this brilliancy of light goes off, the word never comes back void. Some of you have loved ones. They're out there, they're, they're just living for themselves, want nothing to do about God, but they've heard God's word, even though they listen to it. But the Holy Spirit's in their life trying to get them to a place where he can give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And then in a moment of time, all things change. Has that ever happened to you? I remember when the Lord had me step out of ministry. Literally. Go back into the corporate world. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right? I'm living in the middle of nowhere, Fairfield, Iowa. But had I not taken what was considered a step backwards, I wouldn't be here today. But during that time, I mean, I preached in a couple churches that there was one church that was going through some stuff and a pastor asked me to go there. God's used me many times to clean up messes like that in a good way, 
not in, you know, just go preach the word, whatever. And the last time I preached there, I think I preached there four times. Uh, they put a pastor in there who's still there today. Powerful church. It's wonderful. You know, I, I mean, I did a little bit of that, but really I just kind of stepped out of ministry. And uh, when I stepped back in the ministry, the anointing on my life, oh my gosh, it just went, whoosh. It was the coolest thing. Get ready. You're going to see backslidden believers, people who have walked in offense in the church for years that, you know, there's no church good enough for them to come to because, wow, you're going to see them become spiritual giants. Why? Because they really always were. They just never saw it. Right? So get ready for that. It's awesome. That you may know the hope of his calling, that's God's plan for your life, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God wants you to know not only his plan for your life, but that you have an inheritance, and that money will never stop you. God will bring all the people, all the money, all the finances, all the wisdom. He will teach you how to profit. He'll move you. He'll do everything. You have an inheritance, but you'll never see it if you don't get the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Isn't that amazing? You know, we sang that song. I think it's hilarious how Pastor Mark picks these songs. Heaven lives in us. This is what I'm talking about. Everything is in you right now. You've not disqualified yourself. You, as you sit here, are a world overcomer. There's greatness in you, and Satan wants to keep you from seeing it. And when you see the greatness in you, listen, it doesn't make you self-centered. It makes you God-centered. When you don't see who you are in Christ, that's why you're self-centered. It's amazing how that works. And it says, and also, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? God wants, see, Satan doesn't really care if we talk about the power of God. He just hates it when we talk about the power of God to usward who believe. When you believe God's word, there is power to change everything. And it, it says here, according to the working of his mighty power, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that we would know God's plan for us, the inheritance that we have in him, and the power that is available as we walk believing his word. These are the three most important things that you can know as a believer. Along with, but see all this really, it's just all dripping in, God did this for you because he loves you. These three things, I know I'm spending a lot of time, if you break them down, they deal with the past, the present, and the future. So let's look at this. The hope of his calling. Hope. Hope is always future. This is future. God wants you to know that you have a future. Sometimes you mess up in life and you get to the point where you've dug this rut so deep in your thought life, you think this is my life, and you're frustrated because there's something different on the inside of you. God is saying, no, 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 no. That I have a future for you. So the calling of God, the hope of his calling, this is God's invitation to man 
to accept the benefits of salvation. We are called to this. Hope, this is a future thing. We have great hope. And Bible hope is not human hope. Hope is, gosh, I sure hope that happens, which means it might or it might not. That's natural hope. Bible hope, this word hope, literally is a joyous, confident expectation. It is an expectation that if God said it, it's already mine. If God wants you to know the future in one area, now hear me, saint, he wants you to know the future in every area. God wants you to know the future. Satan wants to catch you off guard. God will keep you ahead of all of that. Paul's letters spoke a lot about Jesus coming back. Paul wanted them to have a revelation knowledge of where they were in church history and that God had a future for them. Many, so many people are worried, especially right now, about the future. They're worried about it, but not us. We don't worry, Philippians 4, 6, we don't worry about anything, but we pray about everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Why? Because we know we have a future. And then the peace of God mounts guard over our, our heart and our mind through Christ Jesus. Right? I don't have to be stressed about my future. Paul wanted them to have revelation knowledge that they had a future. Hebrews 6.19, don't turn there, look it up later if you're taking notes, it says that hope is an anchor for your soul. Wow, that might make a good song, huh? I think I've sang that somewhere. Hallelujah. Don't be worried about your future. Look to the Word of God and know God wants you to know your future. Jeremiah 29.11 it pains me to say this, but in the NIV version, they bring out the Greek really good. Wow, right? Hey, every, you know, everybody can get a hit, right? Once in a while. It says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God said this to people who were in captivity. God always gives hope. See, the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, what does he do? He shows us things to come, right? God wants us prepared. He always wants us prepared. We talk a lot about the end of the church age. Why? We're living in the season of his coming. We're living at the season of the rapture of the church. Paul would talk about that. God wants you and I prepared for the rapture of the church. So what are you called to do? What is the end of the calling on your life? God wants you to know. He wants you to know. Why? Because this will keep you out of worry. Some people are like, you know, I just, it's just my personality, I just worry. No, no. The principle is you don't have hope for your future and that's why you're worrying. Why is a person worrying that, that because they're, they're, they're in a hospital or they get a diagnosis and if they don't know that God has a future for them, they're going to be worried. Right. Come 
You know, for a Christian, it might not be worried about me, but oh my gosh, what's my wife going to do if I'm gone? What are we going to do if I lose my job? If this business doesn't turn around, what we worry because we don't have a hope for a future. I'm here to tell you today, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, when you know the hope of your calling, it'll keep you out of worry. Oh man, pastor, that was worth me coming today, right? That was worth me not going to first watch to breakfast. It was worth me just coming, right? Why is it so hard for people to find out what God has called them to do? Because they don't spend time with God in his word, and they don't spend time with him in prayer. That's it. So let's look at the second thing. What is the riches of the, inher- of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? This is present tense. This is right now. Inheritance. Present tense inheritance. Why? Because of the past works of Jesus. Because of what he did, I now today have an inheritance. You have an inheritance in Jesus. Redemption, the remission of sins, healing, well-being, prosperity, soundness of mind. We can go on and on and on. There are also specific parts of our inheritance for us as individuals that deal, that differ from another person. Why? Because all of our paths are a little different, right? Even though we're all planted in the same church, it's still different. Even though we might do life together, we all have a different path. Does that make sense? Things pertaining to God's call, God's plan, God's purpose for your life. This is very person-specific. Always know this, that success brings you to a place where you're satisfied inwardly. This is why God wants you to walk as a success. You're you're at peace inwardly and you're satisfied inwardly because you know you are doing what God has called you to do. This is why God tells you, right? I preached for years you put family first. Family, your wife and your children are number one. And then I'm married and we have two little children and the Lord says, where's that written? And as soon as he said that, Matthew 6.33 comes up. Seek first, first, the kingdom of God. So, you know, with us, we have these circles So we have one circle, and there's God. Then we have the next circle, and that's Jeanette and I. And then the third circle is our two children. Right? And we would tell our kids, because God is in the first circle, and we have things priority-wise, we'll love you, we'll be able to be better parents to you. Right? My kids didn't even know what being a PK was. They would have other kids come up, oh man, it must be horrible being a pastor's kid. And they're like, what what are you talking about? Right? Because they didn't suffer. They didn't suffer because we keep things right. So this is incredible here. Success brings you to a place that you're satisfied because 
you know you're doing what God has called you to do. The greatest thing you could do as a parent, as a grandparent, as a believer for other parents, is to follow God's plan for your life. Because they'll see the satisfaction. Man, whenever I meet with pastors, a lot of times, if I can, if they have teenage kids, because I'm, I'm just an older version of a youth pastor from Southern California, I'll always be one, right? And I love getting around teenagers, and I, and I always tell them, hey, invite your son, invite your daughter, or invite both of them, because I want to see how they're doing, because a lot of them are neglected, because the pastor is not satisfied. He's frustrated because he doesn't know he has a future. So he's, he's caught in his today. This person is not doing anything, and this person, and does anybody, I mean, Satan sits on my shoulder until I flick him off, then he comes back. He's like a, like a fly. Comes back, nobody ever listens to you, right? No, no, that's, that's baloney. Success is doing what God has created you to do. See, as a Christian, don't chase money. Some people have chased money. I still remember in the early 80s, I was part of a church. I was a young man, you know, uh, and there was a family in the church. And I mean, back in like the early 80s, you know, 82, this guy was making like a lot of money. You know, 400000 a year, had this wonderful family, you know, in leadership in our church. And then he got a job in Texas making three times as much. That's a lot, right? Seven-figure income in the early 80s. He didn't, he didn't follow God, and he took the job because of the money, and he ended up losing his wife, his family, lost everything financially. Why? He got out of place. Never be careful. Don't chase money. Follow God, and money will just overtake you, Right? The riches of the glory. I love this. Riches, that's, that literally means wealth, goods, of the glory. This glory literally means honor, due, or rendered. See, the glory of God, literally, God wants, he doesn't want you to exalt yourself. He wants to exalt you. And he gets glory for that, not you. He said to us, didn't he, I will bless you, make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. That's the blessing of Abraham. Our inheritance that is in us is rich in glory. Our inheritance is in us, not just for us. So many believers get so into their inheritance for them, and guess what? Your inheritance is not just for you. And that's where we miss a lot of things. There's nothing that we will ever need in life that Jesus hasn't already provided for us in, the, in his inheritance. When people really grow up spiritually, they look for what God already has done for them from within, and they never look at anything from without. See, as you grow spiritually, you will, you'll, you'll be looking everything, you'll always... You'll be looking for everything in your life from within, ne never from without. Because when you look from without, everything out here is subject to the enemy. It's subject to change, but everything in here is not subject to change, right? 
I love that. Okay, staying with me? We're never going to make it out of this, but that's okay. Hang with me. I'm going to go just for a few more minutes. So wisdom, strength, and healing, they all come from within. So verse 19, and what is the exceeding? This literally means, the Greek word means hyper. It means super. Paul is the only New Testament writer that used this word. The exceeding, the hyper, the super greatness of his power. This is an interesting word. This is an interesting verse. It's really hard to break down because the Holy Spirit saw fit to put four of the five Greek words that mean power in it. This word is multidimensional power. The first word, the exceeding greatness of his power. This is dunamis, miraculous power that's released. It's stored ability that's released. Right? That's a Holy Spirit word. The greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working. This is the second word for power. The working, the energia is the Greek word. It means an outward display of power. And what is the exceeding greatness of his stored ability in me that's released? And then it says, to us who believe according to the outward display of power of his mighty. Now this word power is kratos. His ruling power. Wow. His mighty power. Mighty, kratos, ruling, power, iscus, the fourth word. This means an endowed power. Power someone would be given as if they took over a throne. We are to know this stored ability that's released. We are to know this, this literally, this outward manifestation of power. This, all these different aspects. This is how much power God is saying in one verse, when you believe, I want you to know the power that's available. That's amazing. The dunamis. The what? The energia, the kratos, the iscus. Four out of the five Greek words, four different dimensions of working of God's power. In other words, the Holy Spirit's saying, I want you to know that all the power of heaven, all my power in every form is available to you when you believe my word. Wow. The power to usward who believe. That's number three. So we've looked at future. We've looked at present, the power to usward who believe. Paul is praying that we would have a revelation so that we could see God's inerrant stored power that we have already been given. That works according to his ruling place as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. Hallelujah. I'd like to keep going with this, but I'm going to have to stop. Man. See, what we're talking about is your authority. You have authority. Don't let the enemy steal, 
kill or destroy. Don't let the enemy tell you that your past has to affect your future. Don't buy his lies. And the word of God will show you who you are. Amen?